Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, I'm really excited to bring you a conversation that I had with Dave Stewart Jr., uh, where we talk about how we should be thinking about next year and how we can use some of the lessons that we've learned during this time to make next year, no matter what it looks like, a more meaningful learning experience for our students. I can't wait to share with you that conversation, but before we do that, I wanted to let you know that Angela Watson's 40-Hour Teacher Workweek Club is accepting new members right now. So if you're interested, you can head to teachfortheheart.com slash 40hourteacher. This program is honestly going to be an amazing program for you. If you are struggling to balance um, work and school and your life and you feel like teaching takes over your whole life. And especially in this season, you might have found that, man, like work and and teaching are just blending together. You might be scared about, you know, man, if I'm asked to do all these new things next year, like how am I ever going to have time for my family? Angela's Club will absolutely help you navigate all of that. She's going to help you figure out how to focus on what matters most, how to streamline everything else so that you're not overwhelmed and you're able to be an amazing teacher for your students all while having time to keep yourself healthy, and to care for your family um, as well. So I highly recommend the program. It's at teachfortheheart.com slash 40hourteacher is our affiliate link, uh, so you can find out all the details there. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation now. I'm here today with Dave Stewart. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Linda. And we're going to be talking about, you know, how do we navigate these coming months and this this coming year in relationship to all that's happened with COVID and remote learning. And we're really excited to talk in particular about what can we learn long term from this. And I, I know there's just so many unknowns, so many questions right now. We're going to talk about some things that you can focus on that we know will be um, good use of your time. And I'm really excited to dive into this topic. But before we do that, Dave, do you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself? Sure, Linda. I've, I'm a husband and father. I've got four children. We live in a small town in West Michigan where I also teach. I teach ninth grade world history this year to about 120 students. And I've been doing that for all oh, 15 years or so. And you have a website as well. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I've been writing for teachers at DaveStewartJr.com since 2012. So there's uh, more than half a thousand blog posts there that I've written, trying to make sense of the work that we all do, and you know the research and the the internal struggle of teaching, all the good stuff. Yeah, so definitely you'll have to check that out. We'll talk more about that later, but check it out at DaveStewartJr.com. And we'll link to it in the notes for this episode too, which will be at TeachForTheHeart.com slash 146. Um, and the reason, though, that I'm having Dave on is that we've I've followed his work for a while. He's got so many great things. But you wrote an article recently about, you know, kind of just thinking of this time that we're going through with this remote learning in phases. And you called them phase one and phase two, which I know in our um, society right now, things are like that word phases is used a lot. Right? We're phasing things in, phasing yeah. things out. Um, but what do you mean when you talk about phase one and phase two in relationship to to school and teaching? Well, the initial rollout of all this was such an emergency kind of situation that I think we all just were wrestling with all the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And there was a 
there was a big sense, at least in my own spirit, that I've got to, you know, I've I've like got to sit and scramble and, you know, fix, 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 fix my emergency remote teaching. And it helped me to zoom out and gain some perspective and realize that this first this first phase, basically now until the end of the school year, let, let's think of this as phase one. And this is indeed sort of emergency, figured out as you go, remote teaching and learning in whatever conditions that teachers are in, even all over around the world. There's some version of that going on. But eventually, we will come back, whatever back looks like, into a more settled thing. And I think of that as phase two. And what is sure to be true of that settled situation after the emergency remote part is done um, is that we're going to have students at an even even wider uh, spectrum of readiness for learning and um, mental health, all the things that have always been, uh, you know, existing along a spectrum, all the things that have produced difficult gaps for us in the classroom. I believe are going to be even more, the, the gaps are going to be even bigger when we eventually do come back in the fall, whatever, whatever coming back looks like. And so I've argued that I think right now in phase one, we need to just satisfy, do, do, do okay at phase one, do okay by students, okay by us, okay by our families, and, and make sure that we're protecting some time to do the the kind of research and thinking that will prepare us for phase two, because phase two is going to be most likely to be uniquely challenging for us and uniquely important. Yeah. And it is so challenging just thinking about, you know, what, what the fall is going to look like. And I know that the the picture of what the fall might look like is changing by the week. And honestly, even between the time that we're recording this episode and the time that it airs, it's probably going to change five more times. Um, It's just, it it is rapidly changing so much. So, and we're we're not, we're really not sure what the fall's going to look like. Um, Do you have any advice before we get it kind of into the phase two? Do you have any advice on like handling that uncertainty? How much time do you think we as teachers should be investing in all the what ifs possibilities? I think the best, the best way that I've seen of handling the what if possibilities, the, the, the spectrum of what it might look like to come back in the fall is to think about what practices are likely to be good practices good from a uh, serving the student standpoint and good from a not sacrificing our, our teacher lives on the altar of success. What practices are likely to be good no matter what the scenario is in the fall? So it takes a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, reflection and thinking. And I think surveying our students and talking with people in our communities about, Hey, what, what has worked well I think folks at the district level can be can be doing uh, questioning like that too, uh, to ask and try to try to try to collect some. You know, I, I hate to just throw the word data in there, but we do need some feedback from students and parents about, hey, what worked best during this emergency remote teaching phase, and how can we take what worked best and streamline it, so that whatever we're facing in the fall in-person, hybrid, fully remote. It's kind of the three buckets that I keep seeing. Um, So that whatever we face, we can bring insight into those things. Because the like like you said, Linda, the 
picture is changing so much that I think we need to plan on maybe not knowing for sure until, you know, the weeks right before school. That might, that might be how it is. It's kind of what I've, what I'm planning on is not knowing. So therefore I need to plan on and think about what work is going to be best in all the scenarios. Yeah. And I, you know, as I think about this too, it's just, we love, we teachers love to plan. We love to know exactly what it's going to look like. And so this does present like such a unique challenge, but I do think there are a lot of things that we can focus on, you know, what, what's going to matter no matter what, you know, what, what can I focus, what can I spend my time on this summer that is going to translate no matter where I do it, or that I can easily adapt to all three scenarios and kind of spending our time on that, on you know, focusing on what's best for students, regardless, rather than racking our head, racking our minds, trying to come up with like three completely different plans, which I think is probably yeah. going to waste all our men- mental energy and leave nothing left <laughs> when we do right. kind of need to figure it out. So, yeah, I think that's that's awesome mm-hmm. advice. Um, so, one of the things that I think is so amazing about this time that we've had, like it's been incredibly challenging, it's been horrible on so many levels. But yet it's forced all everybody to innovate, to try things they'd never tried before, to dive into technologies and techniques that they've never explored before. And so I think, I don't know, one of the things that I personally would really love to see come out of this is that, you know, as we think towards the fall, I think so much of our tendency is going to be to focus on, you know, the, the what is it going to, the the specifics of, well, if I have to do remote, what do I do? If I have to do this, what do I do? When really, this is a really amazing opportunity to almost step back, like you said, and reinvent what learning should look like. <laughs> what what yeah. should this look like? What should school look like? How do we better serve students? And and kind of asking those bigger picker, p- picture questions, you know, taking the lessons that we've learned and saying, man, I've never tried this before. How could I incorporate this back into what quote unquote normal looks like or, or my routine? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you. You've been living this every day. What are some of the insights or ideas that, that you've considered or that you're even still considering and thinking about that you hope do come into, you know, phase two as we try to kind of find an actual, because like you said, this was emergency, this was just survive, but we can't do that forever. We've got, we've got to get back to serving our students in the fall. Right. One book that I read during these weeks that we've been going through this is uh, Michael Fulan has a book, The Devil is in the Details, and he's talking about changing systems. And one interesting point, like I'm not recommending the book necessarily, but the an interesting study he points out is, um, I think her name is Heather Malin, and she has done research on young people and their experience of purpose in school. And she she has some statistic that only about a quarter of teens and adolescents find school to be meaningful, find wow. there to be like a, a, a deep connection between their sense of purpose and school. And there's something deeply troubling about that just because human beings are wired for meaning and purpose and, uh, you know, requiring them by law to um, attend for six hours a day and experience that they find to be meaningless and purposeless is a lot of um, – human suffering. So I think what this has invited me to reflect on is just how in some ways this remote teaching is, it's more humane in a lot of ways. Um, I think that many students are experiencing stressors outside of their, their schooling and their education, no doubt. 
But for many of them, school is is now more than ever a source of respite or rejuvenation. Hmm. Learning is regaining its place as like this fundamentally good, um, beautiful human pursuit. I, I, I think that that's happening. I sense that that is how more of my students are experiencing school right now. So the, the question is, how do we bring that into phase two? I mean, mm. part of that added humanity of our education right now, I would say, is that in general, there's less of an emphasis on grades, um, carrots, and sticks. Grades as carrots, carrots and sticks, mm-hmm. right? So there's more of a tendency toward pass-fail. And again, this exists on a huge spectrum across schools and, and levels, but we're, we're in general prizing the learning and prizing, let's, let's all just learn about interesting like these, these interesting subjects as best we can in these unique circumstances. And let, let's kind of, let's kind of de-emphasize the, the grading aspect, the credit aspect, the, you have to do this aspect. I'm curious about how we can bring that type of a, of a thrust into the fall, into phase two. Right. Uh, there was almost less almost less pressure, right? Like anything we did was good. So we were able to just kind of enjoy it a little bit for, for what it was and and what it, what it could be. Um, almost like a sports team that's not expected to win and they can just go out and have fun and just, just do the best they can. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Focus on the game. And you know, we, we, we need to re-examine as a profession, how do you produce optimal pressure? Because human beings need some pressure, Mm -hmm. Right. Right, As a writer, if I, yeah, if you, if you don't ever tell your audience that you're going to release a podcast, if you don't have a consistent publishing schedule or whatever, you're not going to produce as many podcasts. Um, if, if you don't set goals for yourself, probably as, as someone producing a podcast for listeners, trying to serve teachers through this podcast, you're probably not going to produce as good of a show. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit of pressure to produce your best work. Our students do too, but almost every single child and teacher experiences above optimal pressure when we do regular school. Um, I think about my high school students. They they wake up at 6 in the morning. They arrive at school by 7.30. They begin school. They sit in six hours of instruction. They've got some brief breaks and lunch periods scrambled in there. And they do that 180 days out of the year. And they often attach extracurriculars and sports and homework and home responsibilities and jobs on top of that. Or training our young people to live these really frenetic and frantic lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that parents and students and educators and policymakers are thinking right now and really examining right now, what are we trying to do with education? Um, and, and of course we, as individual, individual teachers, we, we can flavor the, the things that we provide for students in our classroom. We, we can have an influence on the system just from our classroom level, but I, I do also hope there's some, uh, some momentum for maybe some more humane changes to education in phase two. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about like what an individual teacher could do, because obviously I'm sure there are yeah. some policymakers out here, and I hope that they're considering these things. But as an individual teacher, sometimes you feel a little bit helpless to control policy. But I right. would think some... My first thought is that I think this is a time where 
And it's going to depend on the administration, but kind of everyone's trying to figure this out right now. So this might be actually an opportunity where, you know, teachers can speak up and and share some of their experience and and give feedback to their principals. Is that something that you'd, you know, you might recommend teachers actually reaching out and sharing some of their thoughts in this regard? Yeah, of of course. I think I think speaking truth to power is really important. I think it needs to be done with humility, respect, Mm -hmm. acknowledgement of the fact that you know, we, we are not, teachers aren't the ones ultimately responsible for producing or enforcing policy. So, you know, there, there's a, there's a little bit of a honor, the honor, the authorities thing. When mm-hmm. we, when we report, uh, Hey, this, this, these are some things I'm noticing that I, I really think we ought to think about, uh, asking administration, how, how could I help with, you know, may, maybe exploring how, how our students in our building experience school do they find it to be purposeful meaningful what 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 did they discover during the uh, phase one and and how what might we as a school listen to our students discoveries i had a great student tell me the other day you know and she was, she was like an all-in on regular school kid but she said i really like what the, one element of this that I really like, I, I, I hate the social part, not, not seeing my friends and being with everybody. I hate that. But one thing I like is, you know, I'm kind of given what I need at the start of each week and I'm allowed to build my own schedule and do what I need to do to get that done. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, Linda, the, the exact way to, that we as individual teachers can implement that beyond talking with administrators. But I think we can start having these conversations with our students and those of us who teach younger kids with with our students' parents, because that's another important part of this. Parents are, whether they love it or not, more involved in their child's education now than they probably ever have been. So this is the time for conversing with all the stakeholders about what do we want education to be? I think that's such great advice because it's funny, you know, as you're bringing this up, like my mind's immediately going to, man, like, how could I do this? Or how could I do that? How could... And I think that stepping back and you said like gathering feedback is really, really important. And it's important too, because everyone's experience, I don't know if you, you I'm sure everyone's kind of noticed this, that everyone's experience is so different during this time. <laughs> some mm-hmm. people are thriving yeah, in some yeah. areas. Some people are like just hanging on. Some people are missing people. Some right. people are overwhelmed by all the people in their family. It, it, it's just, some people have tons of time. Some people have no time it's just it's crazy this how different it has been but yeah like those different things that resonate with different with different students and kind of hearing their thoughts hearing parents thoughts like you said and and then you know i think i think sometimes once we listen then we can step back and and ask man like how how could i do this you know could i give my students you know the week's work at the beginning of the week and, and, and give them more freedom with that. You know, sometimes, sometimes even small amount of small accommodations yeah. like that are like, yeah, like, why can't I tell them in the beginning of the week what's due on what's due by the end of the week? Like, I, I could do that. That's no problem. Right. And, and sometimes they're bigger, way more, you know, involved things. But maybe that's another mm-hmm. thing, too. Maybe it's just looking to start out with small things. Sometimes really small tweaks yeah. can make a really big difference, too. Yeah, I love the idea of small tweaks because those are often more sustainable for us as teachers, you know, and, um, I'm a big advocate for teachers doing fewer things, but at a, at a higher degree of quality, the things that matter the most. Yeah, absolutely. Has anything else kind of come out in your conversations with students and parents that you're kind of excited to explore more or, or try out next year? Uh, I, I would say another, 
Another aspect of this that's been interesting to me, I write a lot about human motivation from the perspective of five key beliefs. And one, one of the beliefs that tends to indicate that a person is going to do the work given to them in, a, in an educational setting, do, do the work of learning and do it with care, is when they sense that they belong, that, they, that their identity matches with that specific work. So if I've, I've given my students a writing lesson and I've given them now a task to practice that, that skill, then if my students think of themselves as a writer, they're likely, more likely to be motivated to do the work. That's the idea behind the belonging belief. Mm-hmm. Well, I've spoken with teachers over Zoom from you know Cambodia to California to the town that I live in. And everyone is noticing that there are a percentage of students who are doing, they're exhibiting more motivation than ever right now. Hmm. It's kind of like what you said. There's this huge diversity of responses to this situation. So obviously some, some students who were doing really well in school prior to the closures are, are now floundering. In, in some hard cases, they've sort of dropped off the map and we're on the phone trying to figure out what's going on. But there are others this seems to be a consistent pattern who were really struggling with motivation during regular school pre-closure. And now all of a sudden they're really engaged and they're asking questions and participating and producing really good work. And I think what's probably happening is that the, for many students, regardless of what type of school a teacher teaches at, for many of our students, or at least a a chunk of them, school just is this kind of scary place. Hmm. Um, the, the social context, even if we as teachers do a really good job of creating a safe space, I think this is opening my eyes to the fact that there are just some students who don't feel at home. They, they feel a sense of threat from, from the school environment. Maybe they're just so worried about being embarrassed or they're, or they're so worried about, um, not knowing an answer and what people will think. And this is sort of taking that away and allowing these students to just focus on the learning. So I'm curious about, you know, this school year, how can I have students who have just experienced this emergency remote teaching, how can I have them reflect on themselves and think about what was better for me as a learner during the closures and why, right? And, and what is, was better for me before the closures and why? And to take that that knowledge and, and basically discuss and write about how this knowledge of ourselves can equip us no matter what learning in 2020, 2021 looks like, no matter what it looks like, how can we use this knowledge of ourselves to to do the work a bit more wisely? Because we, we want our socially anxious students to know how to deal with social situations. I want that for all of my students. But I also want them to understand like, okay, it's, it's not necessarily that I'm a bad learner, that I'm stupid, that social situations make me nervous and anxious. This is a part of me and I'm, I want to explore that this year and wrestle with that and figure out how I can improve in that area, but also capitalize on my strength of the fact that, you know, digitally I'm, I'm really comfortable participating more in class. So that's another area that I'm curious about exploring because you know i'm just getting more and more passionate about this this idea that the the education system it there's there's deep beauty behind the idea to educate every child and i'm committed to that 
like for life. But there, there's also deep problems with the way we currently do it. And I, you know, as somebody who, who really values the, what I think is the image of God in each one of my students, I often struggle with, with just like the, the pain that the sort of the system places on my students. Yeah. Talk a little more about that. Well, you know, I mean, this is a Christian podcast. Yep. That's right. Yes. Uh, not okay. not everyone right. that listens is a Christian, well, but yeah, we definitely go, we go there. We talk about the, um, the biblical world okay. behind it. So, well, I, I, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I love that because it's, it's a type of knowledge that I, that I think offers unique insights onto the world. And I, I've reflected a lot this during the past couple of weeks about how, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, Christians believe he was the wisest person to ever live, like God personified, um, like he, he was perfect. And yet he almost never tries to change systems. Like he's not railing against the Roman government or saying we really need to, you know, really need to switch from, from this to that. He's so focused on the individual humans in front of him and, and trying to teach them in a way that they'll hear, which results in a, a variety of teaching approaches. And, and I wondered, like, why is that? Because the, the longer I teach, the more I see that, gosh, the system that I teach within, it really is contrary in, in some ways to the things that I most believe. Like, like, like I said, the individual worth of, an in, of a child is really important to me. And mm-hmm. I think like sometimes school really communicates the exact opposite thing. And it says, you know, you don't care about school. You don't like school. And the, and the implicit message a lot of times is there's something wrong with you. Like you need to get with the program because this is how the world is and you need to adjust. And I, you know, I, I don't believe in like giving students a total pass on being demotivated. I want them to understand why they're demotivated and learn how to manage their own motivation. But I also just don't like the idea of them getting a message, either either get with the program or go away because we don't value you. So I, I think that what Jesus is teaching me lately is it's possible to live and work within systems that are broken and still try to do really good work, work that's affirming of individual value, uh, work, work that is at its core loving. And so, I, I don't know, Linda, I'm just kind of wrestling around with that and thinking about that during this this pause in regular teaching because um, well, I guess it just it puts the issue a little more front and center for me every day. Yeah, no, you're so right. And I I, I, I wrestled, I don't know if this is exactly what you're referring to, but I've wrestled with that question too of like, when do you rise up and try to like change a system? And when, you know, the Bible is, is, is talks a lot about, you know, submitting to authority and, 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 right. and submitting yourself to injustice and all these things. And then it, then it also talks about seeking justice and, you know, where, where, uh-huh. where is which yeah. one? And, um, I don't know if this is not like an answer, but one of the things I've, I've discovered is that the Bible seeks us to like talks over and over about seeking justice for others and submitting to injustice for ourselves. Mm. Meaning like anytime that we have, we are in a position to offer justice, mercy, kindness, like to create a system for others, for those in our Mm. care, we are called to do that. Um, But anytime where we are being 
oppressed like and i'm not saying to be a doormat i'm not saying to suffer abuse like i i think there there needs to be care- careful with that but you mm-hmm. know it, i mean the bible talks a lot about su- suffer about suffering about when we suffer wrongfully to rejoice in that you know to count it all joy when you mm-hmm. suffer like it says it over and over um so i i know it's like an interesting thing as teachers i think when god gives us the opportunity and the platform that we and especially like in our own classroom we're with our students like you said, like we are to love them, we are to seek seek what is just and right and good for them, where where mm-hmm. we have the authority to do so. But like you said, like there's some places where that's out of our control, and sometimes we want to like wrest that control, yes. <laughs> like right, like we want to be like, no, I want to be in control of this. But that's where we need to submit. Uh, like if God gives us an opportunity to speak into that, then we need to be bold and take that opportunity. But when when we don't, when when He hasn't given us that that spot, then we need to recognize God's sovereignty and that He has put us here, and He can change their mind, and we can pray, and we can seek justice and and love and opportunities where we are. And I think you're right. I think there's so mm-hmm. many opportunities right in front of us. And sometimes we miss those because we're like too busy worrying about the things that aren't in our hands. And I, and I think, yeah, yeah. there's just so many, mm-hmm. like you said, there's so much that a teacher can do like in with your own students in your own class. And I just, I love that, that thought of, you know, helping students reflect, le- like learn, learn for themselves. You know, what, what helped, what helped me? What hurt me? How can I how can I mitigate those those things that are that are harming me? How can I maximize the things that helped? I think I think all of that is yeah. just just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean it's interesting that Jesus chose as his strategy for loving the world to to teach a small group of students. Yeah. You know, I mean that that's like the fundamental pattern of what he did during those 3 years. That like I, and I I think it was a really smart strategy, you know, like it wasn't just, well, I guess I'll go with this. I think it was intentionally selected as if, if I just teach a, a group of people, a group of learners really, really well, teach them what life is, what it looks like to, to be alive, then uh, that'll that'll end up producing a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. He poured into those disciples more than anyone else. And, yeah. And, 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 then, and then they did. They changed the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I take a lot of solace in that, knowing that there's going to be things to bring us back in, in phase two that I suspect there will be things we wish would have changed that won't. Hmm. That's just that's just a safe assumption. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when we have to come to grips with those, I think you've given some good some good guidelines about where we advocate and um raise our voices and where we just seek to, to focus on our quote unquote little classroom with our little group of kids compared to the tens of millions in the country. Um, and, and just do good work. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much. I mean, we could go, we could go on and on here, but I think it's kind of funny. We like, we've almost raised more questions than answers, but I think that's part, that's part of it, right? Like you have to start by asking the right questions. And, and so I hope you teachers, as you're listening to this, that you'll walk away with, with, yeah, thinking like just maybe planning some time in your summer to just stop and just think to let your mind wander right. yeah. and to just, you know, absorb that would and be really reflect good. Yeah. And, and, and see and see where it takes you, see where it comes up with and try to focus less on worrying about what form learning will take and focus more on like how you can inspire learning no matter what. Mm. So yes. those are good words. Anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? Any final thoughts? 
I, 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 I think that you've really nailed it. There's a very, there, there's a tragic underemphasis on the productive teacher act of just thinking. We're, we're constantly doing. That's mm-hmm. like, that's like, and, I, and you know, the, the internet is just another place that spawns all these things that you have to do as a teacher. And this is where a lot of our mental problems come from, our, our struggles, our deep, you know, existential pangs come from is just this thought that good teaching looks like doing, 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 doing. And I, I love what you said. Maybe take some time this summer to uh, literally just take a walk and think. I hope you guys will, and I hope you'll come back and share with us, you know, what you come up with. Uh, before yes. we <laughs> Before we go, Dave, um, can you share a little bit where teachers can best connect with you and your resources? Uh, can you just share your website one more time? Anything else in particular they should check out there? Sure. DaveStewartJr.com. You'll see the blog there, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. I also have a book called These Six Things, How to Focus Your Teaching on What Matters Most, and it gets at what, what I believe are six key areas that are just as relevant during phase one as they are to phase two and as they were to teaching before the closure. So that book might be helpful. Well, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. Do you mind closing us out in prayer before we go? I'd be glad to. Father, I thank you so much for the chance to spend an afternoon speaking with Linda. And I thank you for the folks listening right now too. I pray a blessing over our work. This is good work that you've given us to do. And the students that you've put on our rosters, this, this current school year that we're ending, the, the school year that's to come, these students are precious. Each of them is fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you and praise you that we get to teach young people. And I ask that you would equip us for doing that better than we ever have um, in our next school year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I really hope you guys found this conversation helpful and that it'll give you a lot to think about over the coming weeks and months. And once again, my big encouragement, try not to focus on all the things you don't know, all the things you can't control, and try to get into a space where you can get excited. Go back to what makes you excited about teaching and spend your time and energy focusing on that. And then as you get concrete information, uh, then you can worry about the kind of details of the nitty gritty of what you're actually going to have to do. But Spend some time this summer on things that excite you, on just daydreaming and reimagining and all those things that um, really are meaningful about teaching. And I hope that if you're not part of our Facebook group, that you'll join the group and share your thoughts over there. We've been having some amazing conversations over there. It's a great spot to get inspiration ideas, to um, ask questions and get other people's feedback and just to spitball ideas um, with other amazing Christian teachers. So you can join the group at teachfortheheart.com slash Facebook or search on Facebook for um, Christian Teachers Lounge by Teach for the Heart. Once again, all the notes and links um, from this episode um, you can find at teachfortheheart.com slash 146. Teachfortheheart.com slash 146. That's the number for this episode. Well, thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are making a difference.